This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by Charleston Orwig. They love you, they love you not. They love you, they love you not. They love you, they love you not. Sometimes how others view your business can be confusing and unfair. Charleston Orwig can help you better understand and protect your name. Take control of your company's reputation by visiting charlestonorwig.com. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Ms. Julie Borlaug, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Thank you for having me. I understand that this past weekend you spoke to the Nobel Peace Prize Forum from your position as being the Associate Director for External Relations for the Norman E. Borlaug Institute for international agriculture what was your message um, well first it was a, it was a great honor to be able to speak at the Nobel Peace Prize forum my grandfather was actually the first Nobel Peace Prize laureate to speak at their inaugural session in 1989 so it was neat for me to be able to go back what I was there to do was talk about the next green revolution and the role that science and technology would play and the role that we at the Borlaug Institute were playing as well as everyone who was working in, um, the, in with my grandfather's legacy. Um, my co-presenter was um, Gary Tennyson from the Rockefeller Foundation, and he had worked with my grandfather for four generations. Or, I'm sorry, four generations, four decades. And um, we spent time going over what we currently saw the need the new green revolution needed, and um, models that we thought were appropriate. Tell me about the Institute and uh, what you're uh, attempting to do. What is your mission? Our mission is really to take the land-grant mission of teaching research extension and put that into an international context while also carrying out my grandfather's legacy. So we primarily focus on development projects. We're funded mainly through USDA, USAID, and we work on true development projects in terms of extension where we go into countries such as Rwanda, Iraq, Guatemala, and we take the um, knowledge that we have as a land-grant university and apply that in projects. We've worked with coffee projects. We've worked with projects on um, building the capacity of agricultural universities. We're actually doing that in um, South Sudan right now. So we really go on the ground and work with the people to build the capacity for them to carry on once we've pulled out. And it's actually the model that we try to approach everything in is an integrated value chain model. So in our coffee programs, which were in Rwanda, we literally started with the coffee farming all the way from growing the coffee all the way to the end of the um, value chain to marketing and getting the coffee sold to the high commodity value market. Do you believe you are decreasing hunger in those poorest countries of the world? I think we are. Um, I would say just for, I was just in Rwanda and had the opportunity to go meet with some of the coffee cooperatives we've worked with. And what we've been able to help them do was, as I said, form the coffee cooperatives work on producing coffee or coffee cherries that are of high value and being able to sell it on the high commodities market, or especially commodities market is really what I mean. But what we've been able to teach them and what they've been able to do is now they can access the global market. They can actually have a demand for the product they're selling, and through that, 
they've been able to lift themselves out of a subsistent farmer lifestyle. They now have the ability to have education for their children. They have health. Their infrastructure has been brought in. So it truly is building the agricultural sector in these areas and then being able to have them have access to the global market so that they can raise their um, income levels. Did you also uh, travel to Iraq? Have you experienced any of their rebuilding of agriculture? I actually have not traveled to Iraq, but one of the we've had several um, projects in Iraq. But one of the really neat ones we did was when Secretary Gates um, went over to the Defense Department. He actually was the president of Texas A&M prior to taking the Secretary of Defense position. When he started that, he started. Um, hearing about his soldiers having questions about just basic extension. They were getting asked by the Iraqi farmers, you know, how can we get our irrigation systems up and running? How can we do this? How can we do that? And through his experience at Texas A&M, he actually contacted the Borlaug Institute, and we designed a program where we embedded extension specialists in with the military out in more of the safer regions in Iraq, and they were able to go out, and when the farmers had questions, they were able to help them. And it was a true extension model. And that was a really successful program, and we called that Team Borlaug. And that was just, again, a capacity-building program. You mentioned that you had worked with the Rockefeller Foundation uh, even while you were speaking with the Nobel Prize Forum. What is your relationship with the Rockefeller Foundation? Well, mine more is a personal relationship because my grandfather's work in Mexico at CIMIT was funded through the Rockefeller Foundation. He was a longtime Rockefeller um, Foundation employee all the way to the end. He was still, um, he would say, a, a Rockefeller Foundation um, guy. But um, we don't particularly have a relationship with them at the Borlaug Institute. What Rockefeller has done with their agriculture now is they've put all of their um, funding through AGRA. So they don't truly run an agricultural program directly through the foundation as they used to. Their programs all run through AGRA now. And it, it is our hope to work more with AGRA as we work more within Sub-Saharan Africa. I wonder if you could comment on your views on the challenge of keeping your grandfather's reputation clearly in front of people of today and tomorrow that his work and receiving the Nobel Prize in 1970 doesn't just become a historical event, that the things that he did after that time and the principles that he stood for still remain today, and the challenge of the future is even greater than the challenge of the past. No, it, it is necessary for me. I promised him... Um, actually, on his um, deathbed, I promised him that we would continue... With his work, we continue the Borlaug legacy. We would ensure that a green revolution would come to Africa, and it's important for me to keep his name in the public. One thing he always said, and I'm sure if you heard him speak, he always said history repeats itself. We have to remember history to learn from it. And, I mean, that's a perfect example is after he was able to work with the wheat varieties and get them disease-resistant, we became um, very... Um, Lackadaisical on our need for research on um, on rust and other other diseases for wheat, and because we did not put any funding starting with the 70s, 80s, and 90s into real research, we now have UG99 back, which 99% of the world's wheat supply is susceptible 
to, and now we're looking for a new wheat strand or something that would make disease, would make wheat resistant to this disease. So I think that's why it's always important to keep his name, to keep, you know, his lessons we've learned in history, um, in front of the people. I think, you know, just basically what we've seen recently, just with even the movie Abraham Lincoln, people realize there's a lot to be gained from remembering what past leaders have taught us and what we can continue to learn from them. So that's something I want to continue to do, and that's something I promised him that I would do, and so I want to fulfill that for him. Julie Borlaug, what type of attitude do you think we have to have, and what kind of investment do we have to make to feed 9 billion people by 2050? Well, I would not be Norm Borlaug's granddaughter if I didn't say it's going to take science and technology to get it done. I'm not saying that GMOs are the only answer, but they are a tool that has to be used. We're not going to be able to do it by an organic solution alone or, you know, the opposite end. It's going to have to involve every potential um, tool that we can use. Now, one thing that I'm very worried about in this um, current state is it's almost the marketing gimmick that we now hear about natural foods, about non-GMO foods, about fair trade and and free range and words like that, and people have bought into that with really not understanding what that truly means. And a great example I can give you was this past week, and I had a student who was at the Nobel Forum ask me if all the coffee cooperatives we worked with are fair trade. And I said, yes, in fact, they are fair trade. But what I can tell you is that is the least important thing to these farmers right now. I had just met with them. They did not ask me anything about fair trade or you know, why fair trade was important, they wanted to be involved in the next step in coffee, whether they became the grind, the, um, the um, brewers themselves, or they got to go all the way through the coffee chain. They just wanted more access. What I told this individual, or actually the audience, was what people don't realize, when we buy into concepts like fair trade, what that means for the coffee cooperative is they pay about $12,000 to get that label, and it's really a label. They had to pay for someone to fly over on an $8,000 business class ticket from the Netherlands to come see their coffee cooperative and then approve it fair trade. And then they also had to pay for the certificate. Well, if that equals up to about $12,000, that is a lifetime of money to a cooperative that could have reinvested that into their, their actual coffee practices. So the other part of that is if the coffee price goes up higher on the commodities market, and they've signed a fair trade agreement, they're actually locked into that coffee price. So they lose out on the increase. So these words that people think they're doing, these programs like fair trade that are benefiting farmers in small countries, um, may not actually be what they really seem. And I would ask people to actually research and understand it more from the small farmer. What I believe we have to do is we have to provide them with every opportunity. We need to educate them so they can make the choices. They need to be open to any market they can get into, but it needs to ultimately be their choice, not a choice that's driven by the Western countries. I can't finish without being a little bit sentimental in all of this with um, the reverence that those of us in agriculture have for Norman Borlaug. Uh, Ambassador Kenneth Quinn, who... uh, directs the work of the World Food Prize organization, uh, says that uh, 
Your grandfather's statue is going to be now one of two that will be in the U.S. Capitol from his home state of Iowa. How do you feel about that? We are elated. Um, we hope it actually happens on its 100th birthday, which will be March 25th, 2014. It'll be a huge honor to us. Um, you know, there aren't many people who can say that their grandfather is one of a 100 people or so in the um, U.S. Capitol. Um, it's, it's just an honor. There's nothing more um, that's more exciting. And I think um, as a mother of a four-year-old, to be able to have him walk through the rotunda at some point and say, that's my great-grandfather, and then to know all about his legacy, it's, it's such an honor. It's, it's um, something that our family is so thankful for, and we thank Ken Quinn and all in Iowa who have made it possible, and it, it truly is an honor that I know my grandfather would um, be particularly happy with. Well, Julie Borlaug, your grandfather uh, was one of the people that was most famous in the world uh, of the last century, and we hope you can keep his work alive, moving it forward through the work of the Borlaug Foundation and the Borlaug Institute for International Agriculture. Well, thank you for having me. That's AgriPulse Open Mic for this week, brought to you by Charleston Orwig. Take control of your company's reputation by visiting charlestonorwig.com. I'm Ken Root.